0: The following podcast is a production of the Factual Data Creations Facility. Welcome to the OFNT Podcast Episode 164, which I'm calling Mother's Day Equals Appreciation. Now that's one heck of an episode title, isn't it? Well, this has got to be one of the quietest news cycles I've ever experienced in all areas since starting this podcast. I'll be giving the old community college try, though, to bring you interesting news of the week. Tech news. We'll start off with some Google news. Google now lets you access your account with passkeys rather than passwords, reads the headline from techcrunch.com. The ability to use these passkeys are rolling out globally as I'm recording this. It's been a year since Google, Apple, and Microsoft announced a partnership to make passwordless logins across devices, operating systems, and browsers a thing. Now, what I'm getting from this whole passkey situation is is that you'll be able to use your phone's authentication process, which could be some sort of Face ID or PIN code, across various pieces of hardware or software you may use, regardless of manufacturer. This is just about what I currently have within the Apple ecosystem. I have Face ID for my phone and iPad, Touch ID for my MacBook Pro and Air. When I attempt to access websites that require a password, I can use the supplied verification methods to log into them. In this case, all that Face ID or Touch ID are doing is pulling up the username and password saved on iCloud's keychain and verifying my identity. The article was unclear, to me anyway, on whether this new, quote, system, unquote, will let you log into these sites without first having to establish a password. If that's not the case, this really is not much different from what Apple is doing now. Oh, and I still have to remember a password and or a pin in order to enable a face or touch ID on my devices. My Apple devices, that is. It always seems that a website that I want or need to get into doesn't have a password saved to iCloud keychain, causing me to have to go through the whole forgotten username and password thing anyway. Unless I'm missing something, I don't see how this passkey implementation improves anything. Perhaps it does for those outside of the old Apple ecosystem. Google TV has been updated to make it faster and less memory-hungry than before. Now, only if they could do that with their other applications. Yeah, I'm looking at you, Chrome. (laughs) I say any improvement is a good improvement. Besides Amazon's Fire TV, which is based on Android, as far as this old fart knows, I have no experience with Android TV. Now, I did once get a free Chromecast back in what I, as well as others, refer to as The Day, When I purchased a Pixel 3, but I never actually had an experience with Google TV. I'm sure it's up to the task. Joining Twitter and facebook I mean Facebook, I mean Meta, you can now have a blue checkmark if you use Google's Gmail. What? That's right. This blue checkmark feature is also rolling out as I record this. But I don't know if it's globally like the passkey feature is. And this is a story from... And gadget.com. This blue check seems to be for commercial institutions and not so much for private users of Gmail. I'd guess this was implemented so the receiver can know the email is from a verified source and not just send it to the junk folder like I often do. <laughs> the one weakness of this blue check system is that you have to be using Google's own mail apps. Third-party apps are unable to use this feature. Though i Use Gmail. I don't allow any Google apps on my devices. I find that they take up too much memory, and the Lord only knows what data they're sharing with the big G servers. Of course, the source of the story being Engadget, the woke author couldn't help her, him, they, them, etc., from ending with a snarky remark aimed at Elon Musk charging for a blue check mark on Twitter. It's now a well known fact that under the old management, people paid many thousands of dollars under the table to get themselves that coveted blue check mark. People like the author of this article are probably butthurt because they lost their blue check mark after paying or doing something for a now fired Twitter employee in order to receive the status. You can always pay someone off for an invite to Blue Sky, where you'll again be amongst your bubble and be subject to censorship disguised as moderation. You know, I'm kind of looking forward to artificial intelligence replacing authors such as these who don't have the discipline to just stick to the story. And speaking about Blue Sky, it seems demand for Jack Dorsey's new take on his old Twitter platform is so high, just like he is, that it's outstripping access. When the beta of Blue Sky became available some months ago, I signed up for an invite and have yet to receive one. Invites for Blue Sky are reportedly selling on eBay for up to $400. See what I mean about people and their exclusive check marks and such? Supposedly, there's an early days Twitter vibe happening on Blue Sky, and of course there would be. Because besides being almost a carbon copy of Twitter, it is in fact early days. Duh. I remember the early days of Twitter. At that time, it was a great place to get breaking news and be able to have a civil discourse on a range of topics. And that was before the status-hungry elites and extremists from all sides created their bubbles and started trying to cancel each other out. It was also before the government and their front organizations started influencing who and what was allowed on Twitter. But don't worry, I'm sure Blue Sky will become what was lost when Elon Musk bought Twitter. And you can keep it. The only difference I see from being on the outside of Blue Sky versus Twitter is Blue Sky using multiple servers like Mastodon versus the centralized method Twitter employs? The centralized method is more conductive to what Musk envisions for the future of Twitter, which is a WeChat like super app that will provide all your mobile computing needs in one place. Mark my word on this, it's going to happen. Hey, remember the Microsoft Zoom? Well, the Zune was my MP3 player of choice before I fell victim to what's known as the Apple ecosystem, which is like a black hole that draws you in, and once within it, there's no known escape, but bankruptcy. (laughs) The Zune's look and design was an acquired taste, to say the least, but the MP3 player came in many colors, unlike the iPod that gave you a choice of white and later black. I rocked a brown-colored Zune. Though I had listened to my first podcast on a Nokia E62 semi-smartphone, I cut my podcast listening teeth on Zoom while busy at work, protecting the country from all threats. I even listened to the official Zoom podcast from Microsoft. In fact, the abrupt cancellation of the Zoom podcast foreshadowed the demise of the MP3 player. The hardware wasn't as nice as the iPod, though it featured a then-rare OLED touchscreen. The operating system was, at least to me, superior the Zune's operating system would eventually morph into Windows Phone, which, if you've been listening to this show for any amount of time, then you know I consider the Windows Phone mobile operating system to be the best ever. I still blame Google for purposely not porting their bloated apps over to it, which caused its and eventually Nokia's demise. And yes, I'm still mad about that whole situation. The reason that I'm bringing this old piece of tech up is because the Zune is undergoing a sort of revival thanks to it being featured in the just-released Guardians of the Galaxy Part 3 feature film. The director of the film, James Gunn, when asked the reason why the zoom was featured in the movie, replied he thought it would be funny. Well, I hope for his sake that the rest of the movie is as funny as Mr. Gunn seems to think the zoom is or was. Anyhow, this exposure has brought new, though far too late for the zoom. And it kind of makes me sad for what could have been for the Zune and the whole Windows phone ecosystem. Tech I'm using. Well, still very, very quiet on the tech front here at the old fart household. But hey, Father's Day is coming next month. I don't expect any new tech coming my way until maybe October when I hopefully celebrate that landmark birthday I've been talking about. We'll just have to wait and see. When I had visions of becoming the next John Lecare, some some time back, besides buying the specialty writing software Scrivener, which was super expensive back then but now can be bought for less than a quarter of the price I paid for it, I decided I needed something along the lines of Grammarly, but didn't want to pay a monthly subscription. Instead, I went for its rival, which is Pro Writing Aid, which is mainly web-based, at least for the Mac computer. Well, last week I received an email from the company announcing the availability of a small app called Pro Writing Aid Everywhere. The app is available for both Windows and Mac, but unfortunately not for iOS. This puts most of the web-based Pro Writing Aid features within your email and word processing apps, with Apple Pages finally included. Though currently in beta, the app works well and I hope it's brought over to iOS, or at least the iPad OS, in the future. Entertainment news. Well, this section will really start drying up now that the writers of all those scripts used for all those movies and shows we watch are on strike. As I recall, the last time the Writers Guild went on strike, it took years for the entertainment industry to recover. This time around, I think the media giants feel they have something up their collective sleeves which gives them an advantage, and that would be artificial intelligence applications like ChatGPT, for example. I guess they figured you just have to plug in the basic outline for a show and the AI will spit out a usable script. The scary part is they just might be right. I'm sure a human would still have to fine-tune the results, though. Strange times we're living in. The Marvel movie Blade Part 3 is rumored to have been cancelled because of this strike, and all those late-night shows that hardly anybody watches these days have gone dark. I haven't watched any of these shows since old Greg Ferguson was booted off the Late Late Show years ago, so no big deal to me. Though the times are indeed strange, there are still many shows to stream and plenty of nighttime talk show formatted shows available on YouTube, sans the big production budgets that are just as entertaining, at least to this old fart. A couple of television series I'm currently enjoying are The Company You Keep and Citadel. Company You Keep is a well-written show about a CIA officer enlisting to help from a family of con artists to bring down an international drug and arms dealer. There are many tense relationships and other situations in this one. Citadel, which is on Amazon Prime, tells the story of the aftermath of an intelligence agency that's destroyed and is the, rumored anyway, to be the most expensive television program ever produced per episode. Unlike the Lord of the Rings fiasco of last year... It appears Amazon got their money's worth this time around. So if you're a fan of the action-spy thriller genres, give these two a whirl. I think you'll agree with me that they're very entertaining.
1: At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership. We're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.
0: Podcasting news. As a podcaster, well, at least I'd like to think I'm one. I subscribe to a host of podcast-related newsletters, though most of them kind of repeat the same news. There always seems to be at least one item in a particular newsletter that the others don't cover, and I'm fine with this. What I don't care for is personal ideologies seeping into the mix and being stated as fact. I received one such example of this Friday in a newsletter that I won't name here. While reporting the results of a survey concerning the differences between male and female podcasters, the author found the need to inject their personal beliefs with statements such as, quote, gender is a social construct, unquote, and other such things. I don't care what you believe, you do you, but I expect to be informed of the subject the newsletter purports to cover, not the author's personal beliefs being reported as fact. A simple, in my opinion, would have sufficed here, in my opinion. See how easy that was? I immediately unsubscribed from this newsletter. Do you think I'm right in feeling this way? I covered the U.S. Writers Guild strike and the probable effects it will have on the entertainment media in the entertainment section of this podcast. While listening to Thursday's episode of the No Agenda podcast, the podfather, Adam Curry, pointed out that this strike will also affect podcasting. Why? Well, I'll tell you. When all these independent podcasting networks and shows were snapped up by companies such as Spotify, the workers who helped produce these shows, especially the writers, were allowed to unionize. Gee, guess which union these writers joined? That's right, the Writers Guild that's currently on strike. So, don't expect any new shows from networks such as Parcast and Gimlet while this this strike goes on. Mr. Curry... Then went on to rail against these big moneyed outfits and advise them to, quote, sell off their Neumann microphones, unquote. Something I echoed when National Public Radio, NPR, started crying about their lack of funding and having to cancel some of their zillions of podcasts. I stated this on an episode of my Straight from the Desk podcast, available wherever you get your podcast, kids. Shameless plug now finished. He went on to say that these types of podcasts have $70,000 worth of equipment, while he uses a $700 interface to produce the No Agenda podcast, and it sounds the same, if not better than these shows. And he produces his show with himself and co-host John Dvorak, with some help from listeners. He doesn't employ armies of writers, engineers, and producers. It's story time. This week's story is part two of Return to Camp Hero. Last week I gave you a brief history of the former military site and of some of my experiences there as a young man on temporary duty assignment. For some reason, I decided to go have a look at the place, which is now classified as a state park. It was a rainy early afternoon in April of this year when, accompanied by my wife and son, I started my journey to what I knew as Montauk Air Force Station. To this day, there is only one road out to the site, just like it was when I was there many, many years ago. The village of Montauk was surprisingly unchanged, with more hotel resorts and restaurants that I recalled being there before. The one grocery store and pharmacy I referenced last episode still stand there, open for business. I used a GPS on my phone, which incorrectly led us to some sort of overlook, not the entrance to the state park. Continuing east, we finally found what was the main entrance to the camp Hero State Park, welcomed by the old guard shack in place during my time there, now unmanned. Further along, an information booth, also unmanned and obviously added during the area's transition to a state park, was driven by. To our left, the old motor pool still stood and was now home to some state agency. Of course, it was modernized from the first time I saw it. It was nice to see it still in operation. We parked at a centralized lot and proceeded on foot to what used to be the central area of the old radar site. I was appalled when we made it to the old, what I thought, when billeted there, barracks. There was a faded plaque which said, Welcome to downtown Camp Hero, and explained that this is where most G.I.s lived and worked at. The old barracks had a safety fence around it and it was needed because sections of the roof had collapsed as well as one of the sides of the structure. The admin offices that used to be located on the right side of the building was gone. I guess it was torn down earlier. The other structures, the small base exchange building, chow hall, and command buildings, were still in remarkable shape. A testament to the old military civil engineers who had erected the structures in the 1950s. With a little upgrade in TLC, these buildings could be reoccupied, in my opinion. The barracks that was falling in on itself was constructed of wood back in the 1920s or thereabouts, so... It was not as durable and would need upkeep to survive. Upkeep the building obviously hasn't received. It was a harbinger of the state of the rest of the site. We made our way to the shore, which had yet another plaque telling us of the anti aircraft guns that used to be stationed there, with only one former gun placement mount still discernible. During my time there, about three such mounts were in that section. Looking towards the old radar tower, which also had a safety fence erected around it, I saw the height finder building, which was a domed companion to the much taller range finder building, no longer had the dome visible. It must have fallen in on itself. The tower building itself looked fine, but the rotating radar antenna had lost most of its tiling, leaving the metal skeleton mostly exposed. When the radar tower was shut down, the antenna was left loose so it can freely rotate as to prevent the structure of being blown down during some hurricane or such. With much of the structure gone, I doubt it could still rotate because there was hardly anything to catch the wind left on it. The building I worked out of, with the big picture window I told you about last week was still there near the tower, but was in the same shape as we found the barracks, its roof and walls collapsing. It too was built in the 1920s and, like the barracks, obviously had no upkeep since being handed over to the state of New York. Beyond the radar complex, you can see Peter Beard's old house, which seems still occupied. On the other side of the tower were more former gun emplacement sites, so we tried to make our way over there to see if they still existed. On the way, I saw the old storage bunkers I had stage equipment designated for turning at. Their thick steel doors, now locked and barricaded with wood, the same as the even larger naval gun structures I enjoyed exploring all those years ago. The pathways and small roads were overgrown with foliage, and the lack of trash told me no one probably visited the area. We found that the site of the site where the former gun emplacements were located, adjacent to Peter Beard's house, was now closed off and off-limits to the public. We made our way back to the tower complex and took a closer look. The safety fence had a hole big enough to climb through, and I must admit, I was tempted to do so. But with age comes common sense, so I decided against doing so. We made our way back to the car and left the way we came, I despairing at the state of the old Air Force Station. On the way back towards the village of Montauk, we passed the old, formerly manned by the Coast Guard, lighthouse. It was crowded with tourists and even had a new barn restaurant built next to it. I figured that's where the New York State put the money leaving the old Montauk Air Force Station to rot. What an inglorious end to an important historical site which protected the northeast coastline of the United States for over 60 years. You know, just another part of my youth. Not quite gone, but definitely forgotten. This is the first Mother's Day since mine has passed. Happy Mother's Day, Elizabeth. You're missed very much. If your mother is still around, take some time to appreciate her. Unfortunately, she won't be around forever. With that, the music is playing, so another episode of the OFNT podcast is in the can, as they say. Hope you enjoyed this episode. I enjoyed making it for you. If you like what you heard, you can make a donation using the link in the show notes. Please do. Any and all donations will be appreciated. You can always reach me at OFNTPodcast at gmail.com. If you're so inclined, I'd enjoy hearing from you. Remember, don't listen to what they say. Watch what they do. Hey, support your local independent podcaster, even if he's not too local. The month of May is here, meaning summer is almost upon us. So why don't you prepare yourself by getting off my lawn? Stay skeptical. I'm out.
1: See ya.